You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Daniel Yelverton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Welcome to Elevation Community Church. Uh, My name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're here this morning. Uh, Quick question. Uh, How many were here or were part of the uh, Night to Shine event that we had? Wasn't that just amazing? Wasn't that just awesome? Thank you. Thank you for all of the time and effort that you put into it. Jenny, thank you so much for everything that you did. Also, Pastor Phil, thank you so much. And all the whole leadership team, uh, Veronica, Jana, um, I know I'm forgetting a couple people. Okay, Pastor Phil's going to do this. All right. Anyways, uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much. It was an amazing event. It touched my heart. We had so many people. I even had my dad, who's in South Carolina, in tears as he's watching the event, seeing how much the love of Jesus is being poured out. And so I just want to say thank you all for being a part of that. And, and so uh, we are starting a series through the book of James, but we're wanting to carry over uh, the first series that we did, which was Awake, and we want to, uh, this whole year, awaken to the kingdom of God. We want to awaken to see what God is doing, so we want God to give us eyes to see how he's moving and working in the kingdom of God and how he's moving and working around us. We want ears to hear his voice, to hear what he's doing, but not only seeing and hearing, we also need to act. We need to allow the knowledge and the things that God has given us to transfer to our heart and to our hands so that we can not only impact our families, but also the community around us. And ultimately, we know that the kingdom of God works like a seed and then it will grow in you and that it will transform you and that it will change you into the man and the woman that God has designed you and desired for you to be. And so we're kind of transitioning quickly to the book of James, but it makes a lot of sense for us because James is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament, right? It's full of practical knowledge, wisdom, and application. And what's also really cool about uh, James is that almost all the scholars believe that this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, that wrote this book. And I think this is really funny because I think this also is a, maybe a testament to uh, or evidence of the resurrection because how many of you have older siblings? Ask yourself a question. What would it take for you to be convinced that they were the son of God? <laughs> Probably a resurrection, right? <laughs> Probably a resurrection. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, is giving us this wisdom through the gifting and through listening to the Holy Spirit. And James wasn't a follower of Jesus during his earthly ministry. You see a lot of conflict, actually, between his family and Jesus. Uh, But after the resurrection, James was convinced, and he ended up becoming one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and very impactful for the kingdom movement that that we see in the first century, but also he speaks to us today. And so I want us to start with a passage in James 1, 22 through 24, because I believe this is like a, a hinge point. This is, this is a very crucial scripture for us to understand, especially when it deals not only with the book of James, but just all scripture and how God speaks to us in general. 
All right, so it's in James 1. If you want to, you can turn your Bibles. We're going to be primarily in James 1, so if you want to turn there, that's totally fine. Turn on your phone. We accept phones here. It's totally cool. Uh, but James 1, 22 through 24. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. Now, a lot of times we'll just, we'll just kind of narrow that down to scripture. And that's absolutely true. This is completely applicable to scripture. But this is also a time when they didn't have the New Testament scriptures like we have today. And James is telling to, to do not just, don't just listen to the word of God. And God speaks not only in scriptures, but he speaks through his Holy Spirit. He speaks through the church and through the community around us. So don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You will see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. You see, James is giving us this warning, and, and honestly, we're going we're to see it connect with Jesus' similar warning on the Sermon on the Mount. He says that if, if we come here Sunday morning if, if we listen to Christian music or have Christian podcasts, if we read scripture, if we hear God through his spirit and through others, but we don't put this into action, we are fooling ourselves. We'll look in a, it's like looking in a mirror, seeing exactly who you are, seeing who you are and who you were made and designed to be, seeing the love that God has for you, the plan and purpose that he has for your life and then walking away and forgetting it, and forgetting who you are. The inspiration, I think, that James got from this passage came from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, 24 through 26, Jesus has these famous words. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against the house, it will not collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is, just like James says, foolish. Like a person who builds his house on the sand and when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You see, if we don't take what, what God gives us, if we're, not, if, not, we're not, if we're just listening and we're not actually trying to put it in application to our life, we run the risk of being very foolish, of forgetting who we are, of experiencing a great crash. And this is something that we have to always deal with, right? I mean, how many of you have done this, okay? This might be long past for some. I mean that in the kindest way possible. But you remember taking a test, and within maybe 30 minutes to an hour, forgetting at least half of the things that you did a test on? Has anybody ever, did anybody ever do that? Yeah? All right, we got, we got some good memories here. That's good. All right, I have another. This is going to be an honest moment. And it's okay. We're family. We're church here. It's good. Let's be honest. How often have you come to church or maybe listened to something very inspirational and then, I don't know, after lunch, you know, or within an hour and a half, you've completely forgotten what the sermon was about. 
Like that, there's some honest people here. I know a lot of you guys come to ECC, you never forget our sermons, and that's awesome. We appreciate that. It's good for our ego. Yeah, thank you. I don't know if, I don't know. I don't know. She said it. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to say that to kind of burst the bubble, but we can put joking aside a little bit, and please don't raise your hands. How many of you have been a Christian for years and felt like you, you haven't moved at all? How many of you feel like you've just, you've even gone backwards in your faith or, faith, or you don't even know if you believe this stuff? How many of you feel like you just can't seem to get it right? You're, you're doing the same things over and over again, the same mistakes, and you keep falling in the same traps. How many of you feel like your life is, is like the foolish builder right now in your house? Your life has had a great crash, and it's in pieces. Can I say something to you this morning? I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. We don't condemn you. We don't judge you. I want to tell you that there's so much more for you, that God loves you so much that he has made a way possible for us to get out of this. That Jesus didn't die for us to live a defeated life. That he didn't give us his Holy Spirit so that we can lead ordinary lives. He has so much more for us. So before we go, I'm just gonna pray over our time. And I'm gonna ask that the Lord gives us not only ears to hear, but begin to think about, okay, what would it look like to start to apply this to my life? King Jesus, you're awesome. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for me. Thank you for your great love for me. Thank you for your great love for everyone here. And Jesus, thank you so much that you've given us a way, you've given us the keys to the kingdom that, that you, uh, you want to use us for your glory and to show your power. So Father, I just pray that we will Hear your voice. Tune our ears to you, Holy Spirit. And as the words enter our minds, may you begin to work in us ways to apply this to our life. And I ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be in James 1. And I know we're going to do the hearing or the hearing and the applying part. And we're going to do that all throughout the book of James because I feel like that is just a hinge point for this chapter, or not only the chapter of the book, but also the scriptures. But particularly in James chapter 1, I want us to circle back because one of the things that uh, James talks about in most of chapter 1, but also one of the things that Jesus is talking about, even in the Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about comparing the builders, is he says that you will see what you're building your life on when you experience the rain, when the floodwaters rise. And James, at the very beginning, circles back. We'll circle back and we'll go to James 1, 2 through 4, and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. It kind of makes me think of Elsa when I do that. Like, let it grow, let it grow. All right. <laughs> they, can, they can attest my mind is weird things. All right. 
So let it grow without the theme song. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, leading, needing nothing. And I think what's amazing about that scripture is that James gives us a chance to shift our perspective when it comes to our pain and suffering. And so talk about three quick things uh, about perspective, and especially what we see in just in those scripture. And, and James says, first, when, when troubles come your way, it's not if, it's when. Suffering and trials is a part of our world. Our world is broken, it's dark, and pain is constantly being transferred from one person to another, from generation to generation. You know, in the, the, we wrestle with that, right? Like even ancient theology and even theology today, we try to reason why suffering happens. And sometimes, sometimes we'll blame the individual who is suffering. We can mean well, but I know I've said this before, and I don't know if you have, but looking at someone's pain and suffering, you, can, you may have said this before, yeah, he had it coming. I knew it was going to happen to her. And I'm not saying that consequences are not a part of suffering, that there's not a cause and effect when it comes to the behavior and the choices that we make, but it's not all suffering. That's not a universal principle when it comes to suffering because that's suffering in this small box. And we wrestle with that because it doesn't make sense to us, right? And when we, the, the bad thing is that when we kind of stick with that blame game, we get a warped view of suffering. So we see other people suffering and we think, well, they, they deserved it. You know, they did a lot of bad things, I'm sure. And then we look at our suffering, and sometimes it's hard for us to see maybe the things that we have done and the choices that we have made, and that may or may not be the cause for our suffering, and then we wonder why. Because we've, we've kind of made suffering this small little box. And even Job, the whole book of Job, it's an amazing book. It's a lot of talking, but it's a lot, well, a lot of back and forth debate. It's Job asking God questions. Why is this happening? Why is this going on in my life? And then Job gets some not so helpful friends that come and say, well, it's just because you did a lot of bad things in your life. And Job's like, I haven't done bad things. And I'm like, well, this is the way the world works. So you had to have done bad things. Maybe it was in a past life. I mean, they start making things up just to fit suffering in their frame of reference. Any Jesus disciples even had these same questions, right? I love the scripture. In John chapter nine, there's a man born blind and his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, why is this man born blind? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, no. And the disciples are like, that's not an option. We said, is it his sin or his parents' sin? Whose fault is it? Was it his choices or was it something that someone did to him? And Jesus said, no, it's neither. But this is so that the glory of God can be seen in him. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But I want us to know that our world is broken and suffering is here. And it's a not an if situation, but when. And if suffering is here, the next logical question we'll ask, and I'm sure many of you have asked this question, is does God even care? Does he care? 
And I know we could spend, we've, we've done uh, discussions on the problem of evil very often here. We do a sermon series, or we do a sermon series, you asked for it, and we talk about that every single time, because that is a tough question, right? And I could spend an entire talk on just that, but I just want to do several quick points to kind of talk about, ask if God really cares. First is Revelation 21.4, and Ernie, it's, it's not on there. But what does Jesus promise to do when we're in paradise in Revelation 21? He promises to wipe away every tear from our eyes, that death will be no more, neither mourning nor crying nor pain or suffering. So if, and it even says in Psalms that, that God stores each one of our tears. Is that so he has like a storehouse of sadness that he, just le- that he leaves up in heaven? Or just maybe God is looking forward to the day when he can wipe away every tear from your eye, when he can undo all of the suffering that you have experienced. Another example, what about Jesus at Lazarus' tomb, right? So Jesus gets news that Lazarus is sick, and he, they stay, he stays a little while, and he tells his disciples, hey, this is going to end in glory, right? So he knows what's coming. Jesus knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? But, and here's, a, here's something cool you guys can take home with you, okay? I'll give you the easiest verse to memorize in the Bible, okay? John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. That's it. You can go home and say, I memorized the Bible verse today. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Boom, you got it. I did that before. Um, but Jesus knew this was coming. And, but at the tomb, when everyone around is mourning, seeing his friend been dead for, he's been dead for four days, Jesus is moved to compassion. He weeps. He's mad. It says he's angry when he comes to the tomb. Does that show like a God that doesn't care? That doesn't care about the pain that we're going through? Even when Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he's angry about the situation, and he weeps over his suffering. Last one, John 16, 33. And Jesus is telling his disciples in the upper room, he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but tough luck, I don't care about you. Great closing, you know? Love you guys. I'm out. Mic drop. No. Here on earth you'll have many trials and suffering and sorrows, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Take heart. Take heart in your pain and suffering. I don't know. It kind of sounds like he cares. So when troubles come, James 1, 2 through 4, when troubles come of any kind your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it an opportunity. We have a chance to decide what we are going to do with our suffering. We have an opportunity to take into account and to consider how we are going to view the pain and suffering in our situation and in our world. And you know, James gives us really cool advice here. He says, when you're considering, look back. Look back. He says, for you know, meaning you have knowledge, you have some understanding that, that suffering does something to you. Yeah. 
I don't mean, I'm not trying to be prideful at all, but I can tell you that the reasons why I feel like in some areas I'm a good husband, a good father, and a good man, it's because of the suffering. It's the suffering that has refined me. It's the suffering that refines you. It's not the good, easy times that turn you into the man and woman that you are proud of today. It's the suffering. So we, so we know that God is going to do something good. And honestly, if you guys weren't here last week, check out our YouTube, because we've got a bunch of testimonies of people that have gone through some really, really, really hard stuff, and you know what they're saying? God's doing amazing things. God's been good to me. He gets all the glory. Amen. And so we know this. And it's hard in the fog. I'm really not trying to downplay your situation right now or your current situation of suffering. But if we can pull ourselves even a little bit out of the fog, shift our perspective, we can see that it's the hard things that's made us better. If you're a good athlete, it's not because everything came easy. It was hard. You, you, you worked your body to become a good athlete. God has the ability to do amazing things and to do amazing good. So I, I don't know when your breakthrough will come with your pain and suffering. But I know God's ability to do something good is always there. That's right. So give him your burden. Jesus even says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says, come to me. Not all you have everything together and everything's going good. Come to me, all you are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me. Jesus is basically saying, strap yourself to me, and we're going to walk through this together. He says, let me teach you. Let me show you. Let me show you what I can do. Let me show you what is going on in your situation. Let me pull you out and give you a little bit of perspective. And he's not, he's not a tyrant or a dictator when he does it. He says, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden for you is light. So Jesus and the Holy Spirit through James are inviting us to shift our perspective on suffering. He does care about you. He has been faithful in the past and he can and he has the ability to turn it for your good and your glory and his glory. So this, the other thing that James gives us is when we are dealing with suffering, he gives us some things to do in the, in the meantime. And the next thing he says is he says that we are supposed to ask. And sometimes I've read James like a fortune cookie, right? You know, you open it up, and it says, oh, hey, consider it joy when you have suffering. Okay, oh, ask God when you ever need wisdom. Okay, all right. Oh, hey, you know, God doesn't tempt you. That's all right. All right, well, cool. All right, hey, oh, every good and perfect gift comes from God, right? And we read scripture like that sometimes, right? We don't see that it's actually like a letter that, that has been written to people and I've done this before, and so I've just completely departed from the whole suffering topic, and then I've gone to, oh, hey, if I never need any wisdom, all I need to do is ask God. But I think it's connected here. Yeah. And James 1, 5 through 8 says, if you need wisdom, if you need wisdom in whatever your situation is, especially your situation of trial and suffering, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, meaning you can come to him as many times as you want, and he will never turn you away. He will never shame you. Ever. 
But when you ask him, make sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything you do or they do. So, no, you can ask. We have have instances, I mean, literally we just talked about Job. Job asked God a lot of questions. What's going on, God? Why is this happening? And you know what's at the, you know what, at the very end of Job? You know what God said about Job? He said that Job never sinned in the process. Now, he did say that Job's friends sinned because they misrepresented God, and they kept God in his little box. So what's going on, though? What's going on with this? Make sure your faith is in God alone. Don't waver as a person divided loyalty is unsettled as the wave of the sea that's blown, tossed back and forth. And once again, I want to I be sensitive to your situation. I really, really do. But suffering and trials is like a smelting process. Smelting is a way of heating up ore so that you bring out the precious metals. You heat it up, it burns away or it falls away all the impurities and all of the non-precious metals. And what rises to the top is the precious metals. And suffering has the ability to do that, right? When the storm comes, you don't know how sturdy the anchor is until then. And you also don't know if your anchor's in the wrong place until then. The foolish builder doesn't realize that his house is built on unstable ground until the storm comes. And so suffering gives us an opportunity, a window into figuring out where our heart is And where are we longing to find our fulfillment, identity, and everything that we need? Paul, who is very acquainted with suffering, um, he, you know, was beat by the cat of nine tails like 39 times. He'd been stoned. He'd been, not the stone that some people have gone through. It's the the stone that tries to kill you. The, sorry. Um, He has shipwrecked. He is beaten and left for dead. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. He says, I think you ought to know, he's talking to the Corinthians, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed we, and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Now, I know that we have bad situations, and some of us are there. Some of us are in these situations. But there's a key turn here. And Paul says, but as a result, as a result, meaning what he was going through produced something. As a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. He did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. You know, sometimes you don't know your hope is in romantic love until a breakup gives you no hope. Sometimes you don't know how much you're hoping in the stability of money until you hit hard times. Sometimes you don't know how much you're living for the praise of people until what someone says crushes you. Sometimes we don't know if we're depending on the hope of a political savior until our party loses and we lose hope. I'm not saying that this is necessarily your situation. But many followers of Jesus were kind of half on the rock and half in the sand. 
We want Jesus our way. We want him shaped to do the things that we want for him. And we want his plans to jump board on our plans. But when we place the weight of our souls on something other than Jesus, it will always disappoint. And I'm saying this in the most sensitive way possible. Sometimes our suffering is so hard, not necessarily because of the severity of the suffering, but because you lost anchor to a God that you were putting hope in, little G God. Sometimes suffering shows us where our anchor is for our souls. So for the sake of time, I want to jump down to James 1.12. Uh, through 15. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised for those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God has never tempted to do wrong and never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Once again, this is another time when I was reading James like a fortune cookie, and I would just kind of keep this in my own little bubble and not relate it to the situation of suffering. But James even says it explicitly. He says, God blesses those at the very beginning who patiently endure testing and temptation. And I think what James is giving us here And he's giving us great wisdom in the in-between, right? Because not all suffering we go through resolves immediately. You know, sometimes there's a space between that breakthrough. There's a space between the suffering that we're going through and the ultimate kind of, I guess, rising of the precious metal that comes out of the smelting process. So James is asking us, what do we do to endure our trials? What do we turn to to help us in our pain? You know, sometimes we can blame the choices that we've made or even blame God because we went to the wrong thing for our relief and it made our situation worse. Sometimes we will blame others, ourselves, or even God when we've gone to the wrong thing in relief and we've made our situation worse. The best way I can describe this in my own life and the question that I ask myself is what is my sanctuary? What's the thing that I'm turning to for relief? What's the thing I'm turning to for rest? What is the thing that my soul craves because I need it? Because I'm angry, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated, things are not going my way and I need this now to calm my soul. Here's my sanctuaries, Some in the, most in the past. They've been alcohol, they've been relationships, they've been pornography, and they've been video games. Now those might not be yours. But what are those things that you turn to when things are not going according to plan? Is it social media? Are you turning to the affirmation of people to try to get you through the pain and suffering? Let's be honest, it's like binge-watching Netflix or, come on, Disney Plus. We all know. Maybe it's a scoop of ice cream which turns into a pint. 
Maybe you pour yourself into work. Maybe you try to hyper-involve your life with so many different things because you need achievement. Maybe you hyper-involve your children for the same reasons. What, What is the thing that you run to for the rest of your soul? And it may not be an intrinsically bad thing. It could be a good thing. But maybe it's become a too big thing. You see, James, when he's talking about desires here, Ernie, put that uh, scripture back up. When he's talking about desires here, some translations say evil desires, but the Greek literally translates it as epithumias. I think I got that. Epithumias, which means epic or ultimate desires. These are desires that your soul craves. And I think what's really interesting here is the terminology that James is using in this scripture, right? He says that temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The imagery that James is using here is adultery. The imagery that James is using here is is spiritual adultery. The best way that I can describe this is that whose embrace are you running to in your time of need? Are you running to Jesus? Or are you running to something or someone else to hold you, embrace you, help you deal with this? Maybe someone's hurt you and you fell into the embrace of anger and unforgiveness. What happens, the fruit of that embrace gives birth to bitterness. And bitterness gives birth to relational death. Maybe you have not had a meaningful relationship because you fell into the embrace of unforgiveness and anger and that has birthed in you bitterness. What is the thing that you are running to and enticing you with? What is it promising you? What is romance or relationships trying to promise? What is achievement or success trying to promise? And is it lying to you? And have you even asked that question? James says immediately after that in James 16, don't, so don't be misled. Don't be misled. Don't be deceived. Ernie, can you put it up? James 1.16, don't be misled. My dear brothers and sisters, maybe I don't have it, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us, from God our Father who created all the lights in the heaven. He never changes. He never changes. So when he said that he loved you and he adopted you and it, and he, it brings him pleasure and joy to give you the keys to the kingdom, you know that he hasn't changed from that promise. You know when he says, come to me all your weary and heavy burden because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that hasn't changed. He doesn't cast a shifting shadow. And listen to the terminology. What he chooses, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his word. And I love this. And we, 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 you, me, we, out of all creation, are his prized possession. You are his prized possession. You are his prized possession. You are his prized possession. possession. Out of all 
creation. You are his prized possession. You see, the good things that we're trying to fall into, the good things that we're hoping will help us deal with these issues, the sanctuaries that we are going to are actually all found in Jesus. Come to his embrace. He won't let you down. So I want to end with a little bit of application here. And I know that this is not an all-encompassing talk about suffering. We just grabbed a couple scripture from James. There's a lot more in scripture and in wisdom about suffering. But I wanted us to pull away some applications here because I don't want us to fall into the trap like I have for where we just hear this and we forget who we are. We forget what he's done. And we have a potential calamity on our hands. So first thing is allow the Holy Spirit to pull you out of the fog. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you perspective. Take opportunity to shift your perspective and consider that something else might be happening in your present situation. Look back. Look back and see his faithfulness. Another thing for free is that when we look back and we see his faithfulness and we thank him for what he's done, you know what leaves? Worry and fear. Philippians 1.6 says, I am confident that he who began a work in you will carry it to completion. He will carry it to completion. Take that burden off you too to carry it to completion. Second thing, ask. Ask God for wisdom. Ask him. He's not going to turn you away. If whatever you're going through right now is bigger than you and is just too much for you to handle, ask. Ask God. Honestly, ask people around you. Ask people that love Jesus and love you. Probably don't ask Facebook. But yeah, ask. Definitely not Reddit. He won't turn you away. The third thing I want you to question you want I want to ask you and this may be too hard in your present situation but maybe this is an opportunity to pull up the rope of your anchor and see where it is because maybe you've fashioned yourself you've built your life off of something that is going to snap as the storms come and you will be tossed back and forth in total chaos take time and pull up your anchor and see where it is. The last thing. Where's your sanctuary in the in-between? What are the things that you're going to when you're frustrated, angry, upset? What are the things that you keep doing that you don't like that you keep doing but you can't stop doing them? Maybe, just maybe, that's something you're running to, hoping to find relief and rest for your souls. And it's the wrong place. So as as the band comes up, I want to close with one kind of reflective question. Why? Why do this? What's the point? What's the point of doing this? What's the point of enduring? What's the point of considering it joy? 
Is it some sort of spiritual ascending? Is it so you can be a super Christian? Is it so you can get a badge that says, hey, I consider it a joy, maybe tattooed on your shoulder? I don't care. What, what is the point? And I think Jesus gives us such a great window into this. In Hebrews 12, 2, the author of Hebrews says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's talking about throwing away all the things that entangle us. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Listen to the, the, the terminology that the writer of Hebrews use. use. Hebrews 12, 2. Because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus endured the cross and dis- disregarded its shame, and now he's seated in a place of honor. You know, it was joy that brought Jesus to the cross, and Jesus endured every single painful process from the physical pain to the emotional pain to the spiritual pain to God turning his back on him. He endured it. You know why? Because you. He, He considered it joy because of you. Because he loved you. He endured because he loves you. And so when we endure, when we consider it joy, and we endure in suffering, we do it not because we're trying to become super Christians. We do it because of love. And we do it not only because the love of Jesus, but for the love of the people behind us. When you endure the suffering, the challenges that are in your marriages, you are doing it for the love of your children and the next generation that's coming up. When you endure the slights and the pains at work, you're doing it for your coworkers. When you endure the physical pain, you are doing it for the people around you that don't have hope, that are experiencing suffering, and that need Jesus. It's love why we endure. It's love why God wants to do this amazing work in you so that you can be the one. Literally, the word endure is hold fast. And you can say, whenever this comes in, I'm gonna leave a wake behind me of the goodness of God, of the glory of God, of his love, so that when people see me standing here enduring, they will know that there is hope. So I wanna close with this. So when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Because you know, you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing, meaning you will be equipped for the task at hand. You will be ready when it hits your family. You will be ready when it's around you. You will be ready to leave a wake of the goodness of God behind you. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Show us, teach us. Teach us where we've missed it. Bring us back. 
Bring us back to those places where we've maybe had our anchor on the wrong thing or we've gone to the wrong sanctuary and maybe right now our life is not where we want it to be, but there's always hope because you are amazing and you can turn everything for good. Jesus, I speak freedom over everyone here. Freedom from the pain and the suffering. And I pray you break those chains, those lies and the promises that romantic love and the success and that achievement and that the praise of people tries to give us. It never lasts. It leaves us empty, longing for more, and we will sacrifice our body, mind, and soul for it. But you are good. You love us. And Jesus, you are a way maker. You make this possible. You make all of this possible for us to even consider this joy. So may we leave a wake behind us of your goodness and glory because we stood fast and said, I will consider it joy when these things come my way because I know that God is doing something greater than I can even fathom or comprehend. And I'm going to trust you, God, because you are good. You have always proved that you're good and you will continue to be good because that's who you are. Jesus, move and work in this place. (laughs) Thank you for rescuing a poor little soul that was so lost at sea, tossed by so many different things. Thank you that you saved me. Rescue us all now. We know you rescue us and you will continue to rescue us because that's who you are. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our weekly podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.